0: Hey, this is Jay Klaus. If you want to build a life of creative independence or grow your profile on Twitter, you should be listening to Brands on Brands with my good friend, Brandon Bergmeier.
1: In a world where content is king and your reputation is your brand, how do you build a brand that matters? Welcome to Brands on Brands, a home for those that think different and push their boundaries. This is where branding that matters lives. Now, here is your host, Brandon Berkmeyer.
2: Hey, hey, what's up? Welcome to Brands on Brands. I'm your host, Brandon Berkmeyer, and I believe that building a brand that matters is the only way for a person to thrive tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in each week as we bring you the tips and tactics on how to build your personal brand and content marketing. Today today is another interview episode. Before we jump into it, if you've never listened to the show before, make sure to go to brandsonbrands.com forward slash resources to get all of our freebies. And if you're at all interested in building your own brand and podcast, check out the podcast branding academy at brandsonbrands.com slash PBA. Now let's talk about our guest. Our guest today is Jay Klaus. Jay Klaus, I've had the pleasure of meeting and working with in some mastermind groups. I'm a big fan of his and how he runs part of the community there. He is also a fellow podcaster. I'm a big fan of his show. Uh, the show is called Creative Elements, and it explores how your favorite creators build their businesses from their art and their creativity. So check that out. Lots of knowledge dropped on what it takes to be a creative and to get yourself into becoming an independently building your own business, uh, creative business owner. Now, Jay is also the creator. He's done this before. He's done a lot in his life, started and sold freelance uh, businesses, startups, and he created something called Freelancing School because he worked as a freelancer and then taught people how to do that. And that provides training and community to help people grow and make a living as a freelancer. He's got multiple courses. The one he's most excited about, which we talk about today, is called the Tweet 100 Challenge that helps people get their business moving and growing on Twitter. He's already got over a thousand members and 30,000 tweets sent and over 90,000 followers gained through that challenge. So check that out at tweet100.com or for more on Jay, go to JClaus.com. Love the conversation today. We really get into all the conversations of what it truly means to be independent, not financially, but creatively to start your creative business and to thrive on that road. Uh, we also dive into how he built his show, how he thinks about his business and his brand and what it took to get a community going and thriving along those lines. So lots to listen to today, today, to guys. And I appreciate you. As always, let's get into the show. Brands on brand zone brand. All right, let's get going. I'm excited to welcome our guest today, Jay Klaus, to the show. Jay, first off, thank you for being here.
0: Hey, I'm great. I'm grateful to be here, Brandon. Thanks for having me.
2: Absolutely. Well, the reason I'm excited is that we get to talk about a lot of things today uh, one, about being a creator and the creative business. Uh, and that's, a, you know, could be content, could be other things, but the creative businesses will be talking about it today. Uh, community building, and there's always a little bit about personal branding, because that's what we're about here. But let's start with this idea that you've coined, and if anyone's run across your content, they'll, they'll have heard this word come up, but we want to explain it, lay the groundwork for the audience today, which is this idea of creative independence. What is that, and why is it important?
0: I started talking about creative independence because I spent a lot of time focused on financial independence in my life. And as I've achieved that to some degree, or at least felt like I had some degree of financial independence, what I realized is like it's kind of a place of like, okay, so now what? And as I started digging deeper, this idea of like, okay, yeah, you can make so much money or save so much money that you don't have to work again. But then what do you do with your time? And generally, the people who achieve that just spend their time doing things that they want to do that is fulfilling, that allows them to express themselves and share their ideas. And so if that's what we're trying to get to, why isn't that just the goal? Because I think we can achieve that much more quickly if we just say like, I want to have a creatively fulfilling life. You can do that now, even without financial independence, and you can still be financially comfortable without saving you know, 25 X your annual expenses or whatever the, the fire mark is. So to me, you know, I think that's like the real goal. How can I live a life where I am creatively able to share what I want to share and express myself without compromise and ideally even generate an income that might unlock financial independence for me.
2: So like, let's talk about what those kind of outlets would be. Like when you're thinking like a creative outlet Moving beyond the financial, like what does that mean to you? If you know, because I imagine is that for everyone? Does everyone have that outlet that they need to express?
0: I think, yes, everyone has that outlet they need to express, but it won't necessarily look like a you know financial vehicle for everybody. Take my dad, my dad's retired, he's in his 60s, and for the last you know 50 years of his life. He's been a woodworker he absolutely loves building things in his shop this cabinet behind me is something they built this desk I'm sitting at is something that he built. I just realized over the last several years like man my dad is an artist like all he really wanted to do was just like make his art and he does sell some of that but he did that while he had a full-time career as a teacher he, he taught high school and that outlet was what he like lived for he absolutely loved it he didn't care about saving 25x his annual. Income to be able to do that, like he was happy knowing that you know he built his way towards being able to build this amazing shop in our backyard overlooking our pond, it's where he spends all of his time, and he's happy as a clam. I think everybody has that to them. Some people go so far as like they want to build an audience, they want to build a brand, they want to build a financial vehicle around their work, and that's more so where I'm at. Where I'm at, like I enjoy the process and the practice of writing, the process and the practice of podcasting or building community. And those are skills that I can leverage to create uh, my own brand. I actually have a different phrase for personal brand that makes me feel happier (laughs) called creative platform. So I like, I like building my creative platform and doing that with different mediums. And I think everyone just has that itch depending on like where on the spectrum you fit around. Do you want to monetize this to what degree uh, and how? Yeah, I, I, like to, I don't
2: like that word either. I use it because it's like colloquial, but I think reputation is the word that I tend to jump into. And there's lots of places where that reputation plays out uh, for personal branding. But I, I get that as a creator, as someone who you know found themselves wanting to express themselves, for me, it was not about necessarily the act of creating something with my hands. It was really about expression. It was about getting ideas out of my head, and having conversations and sharing ideas and perspective and honing that, honing that voice over time. So I definitely count myself as one of those people that wanted to build more of that into a life where I felt like we are kind of steered towards removing that out of our lives, that where we're steered towards being just kind of another player on the team or a cog in the wheel of corporate America, if you will, not to get dramatic. But do you see that as something that is not cultivated enough? Uh, in our world?
0: Yeah, to some degrees for sure. I mean, like the system is perfectly designed to achieve the results it achieves. And our economic system is designed to create workers for companies who can skew the deck towards their interests. Uh, It goes all the way back to the industrial revolution and how we set up the educational system. Like we have designed a system that creates workers and people who are dependent on jobs to live the life that they want. And for a while, like when you're getting started, it often feels like those things are at odds. Like I need to have this job, says the culture, says my bills, but I want to express myself in this way. How can I have both of these things? And we call that work-life balance. But really, like if you just find a way to express yourself and scratch that itch and you have a way to pay your bills, whether those things are the same thing or different things, like you're going to be a happy and fulfilled person people just innately like to, you know, step back and point to something and say, I did that, like I imprinted myself and my thoughts and my ideas onto that, whether it's a physical object, whether it's a digital product or whether it's like solving a problem. Some people just like to say like this problem came in, I thought through it, we solved it. This is the solution that exists now because of me.
2: Yeah. And I think a lot of us might even be already kind of tapped into creative. I wasn't, I had to get there, but some people might've been working, like using their creative skills for most of their jobs or their careers, but you added this word of independence to it, which me makes like, it kind of paints this picture of it being more of a path that you're getting to, to create. So where did that idea come from of, of it being an independent endeavor?
0: I don't think anybody enjoys being dependent on anything because it feels like there's a lack of control that you have. Like people want to feel like they can be self sufficient. Dependence equals risk, you know, because like that thing could go away. So to me, like independence is something that we all really yearn to feel. And so, you know, that may not be financial independence right away, but. Certainly, like if there's one thing that you can control and have total ownership over, it is how you express yourself creatively. There's like infinite ways we can do that now. The tooling has never been easier, the opportunities have never been more plentiful. You can have that feeling of independence creatively just now, as long as you just like assert that's what you want and you start following that urge. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about some of those steps that, I mean, you've coached
2: a lot of people on getting there for themselves. And I'd love to kind of tackle what you've seen as some of the like early, like first things that people tend to need to
0: knock over to get there that you've helped people through. First and foremost, people who have this itch, like I want to create something, you know, there's this great book called the artist way by Julie Cameron. And she has this phrase called shadow artist, which is this idea that You have this urge, you see other people doing the thing that you want to do, and you identify with that life that you're seeing or projecting on them, and you want that. And because, like, we see so much of this openly now on social media and the internet and whatever, it's easy for us to conclude some of the things that we need to do to get there. And while it seems like intuitive, it can also feel overwhelming. And where I see a lot of people struggle is they just don't get started. They don't start doing something because it's going to be bad and it's going to be wrong and you're going to be embarrassed by it. And you're going to want to start over and you're going to want to change things. Like that's going to happen no matter how much forethought you put into it. You're never going to go to market with something perfect the first time. The best thing you can do is start to get experience and get some reps. So if you want to be a writer, like don't worry about getting a logo. Don't worry about building a website. Like what is the shortest distance to writing? could be a notebook could be a notion document could be medium.com like so many tools will allow you to start getting reps because you need to do that to recognize the things that you actually like yeah like we have assumptions but you have to actually do the act of whatever to really figure out like what parts of this do i really like and really not like so that i can shape my effort in a way where i remove the things that i don't like
2: how did you get some of those reps? I mean, if you think back, you've done a lot, but if you think back to you starting on this journey and you've pivoted a few times, but you getting started and you trying to make those reps, what kind of challenges did you run into along the way that you could maybe save us from
0: or not? Well, my first, my first blog was in high school. It was a Zanga blog. And so like that built some muscle of like, I wrote a thing and I put it on a website that somebody else owned. So like I knew there was a short distance there. In college, I was convinced I would be a comedian. Uh, and so I started WordPress and I started writing on there, which is again, like, okay, I'm writing online, but at least like the WordPress I set up for myself. And then as I went into like my career, I was a product manager and I was in startups and like we had some success there. So I started to link my identity to startups and like the, the sale of that startup and whatever. I got away from making stuff. And when I realized that was like a blocker and something that was like deeply upsetting me, I worked with a coach and he helped me identify. I had this like narrative. I was telling myself that I thought I wasn't creative. Like I thought I was a really great operator and I could take ideas and I could make them real. And that was like a big hang up for me. And it made me sad (laughs) because I had this like shadow artist career where I would see people making stuff. And I was just like, damn, that is so cool. It is so cool that you're doing your own thing. And so when I recognized that limiting belief, the first thing that I did was say, okay, well, how do I flip that on its head? And to me, that was writing every day for a year and publishing it publicly. And so I started uh, a MailChimp account. I might've actually already had a MailChimp account, but I was using it super irregularly. So I was like, all right, I'm in MailChimp. I'm going to send out something every single day for a year. And I did that. And that was great. And that was exhausting. And a lot of it was trash. And now it's like actually actively hurting the SEO of my website, but I can remove those things. And I went down to weekly. It's like, I now know that I have this muscle where if I want to create something and I have a deadline, I will hit it and I will do it and I can do it and people appreciate it. So now instead of just like getting reps and doing this because I can, it became more of a, what do I want to do? And how do I start building that? So really, it's like it's, it's building confidence and building this belief in yourself that like when I say I'm going to do a thing, I do it because the opposite is true. Also, like if you tell yourself or other people that you're going to do a thing and then you don't do it, you begin to build distrust with yourself. Like your word doesn't mean anything to you. You need to build the muscle where what you promise to yourself and to others comes through. and. If you're in a state right now where you've failed so many promises to yourself that you no longer even take yourself seriously, like you need to explicitly have a conversation with yourself as crazy as it seems, wipe the slate clean and say, okay, starting on this date, things are going to be different. And then you need to follow through and then follow through and follow through and you start to change your own perception.
2: Did you struggle to keep those promises? I mean, you have a, a podcast that comes out very consistently. You had that that blog that you were writing for those you know, each day in a row. And if you guys haven't checked out the Creative Elements podcast, definitely give that a listen. It's one I've been checking out recently, and I really appreciate all the knowledge you're dropping there. But have you had trouble? Have you been like, I may not w- make this episode out today or I may not get this blog out, even
0: though I promised myself for a year. It's definitely it's not easy. But I never doubt that it will happen. It's just like, how painful will it be to get to the finish line? And what will the state of the final product be when I get there? Because, like, it's never a question of, am I going to do the thing? I have made a sacred covenant with myself that I'm going to do the thing and with other people. I think it comes from, well, I thought it came from my time in journalism in college. Because in journalism, when you're writing for a literal newspaper that goes to print on a certain time every day if you didn't have your work done you couldn't print it but the paper was going to print anyway the paper prints every day so if your stuff wasn't done it wasn't going in the paper and now there's a big hole which makes your editor pissed off it's like a big problem so deadlines were just non-negotiable in journalism and i had built this muscle with myself when i had a deadline i hit it because i had to the consequences were too hard too high not to and I just kind of carried that over into, you know, this world of creating content. And I wish I could like just bottle that up and give that to people because I recognized it's a problem for so many people. But in my mind, like the stakes are just really high and not publishing on the deadline is not an option.
2: Well, it seems like it forces you into some skill development because... After having to keep that promise to yourself every time, you then have to say, Well, how am I going to do this? How am I going to create new content ideas every week? How am I going to edit this in a way that it's not murdering my time every week? And along the way, it kind of gets easier, I'd imagine, you know, because you've been doing it like for so long.
0: Yeah. And I think about, I had a friend of mine who was telling me about his little brother. His little brother was about to start his like third job in in one year. And I know his little brother and his little brother has like this entrepreneurial itch. And if you have an itch, whether it's entrepreneurial or just creative and you don't know how to scratch it, it is like agonizing because you just, it it won't go away. And you need to have an answer for like, how do I calm this? And by having these routines and rituals where like every week I'm publishing a newsletter on Sunday, every week I'm publishing the podcast on Tuesday, that removes so much like existential questioning of what should I do? It's like, you no longer have to ask, should I create a thing? What do I create? When do I create it? Like all that's done. I have that all done. I just have to make the thing. And by making that and having that practice on a weekly basis, that pretty much ensures that I'm going to get, you know, some percentage better every week that passes. But if you don't have that routine or that ritual in place, then you just have like this constant battle with yourself and your lizard brain of like, am I going to make a thing? What should that thing be? When will it be due? And if you don't set like a deadline at all, and you don't know what you're making or, or how you're making it, it, just nothing happens. And you live in a state of like frustration.
2: Yeah. And I think a lot of people, when they set out to solve a problem or build a business, they, a lot of the time they have an idea of what that solution could be. And then they start meandering, figuring out like, oh, this is how I'll build a website. And they spent six months on that and they never get out to market and really test these things. And I think part of that is because they're afraid that their identity hasn't caught up to their idea yet. They're like, I want to be the agency that helps with this, but it's just me. And I've never done this before. And for me, I found a way through that, through content creation. Like I had to find my perspective and content first before I could Feel confident in sharing the solution, but I want to talk about this idea with you because I've I've heard you talk about it a little bit before, which is the idea of the work you're doing versus your identity and how those things can be at odds at times. How do you feel about that?
0: I've had identity issues in the past. Like I talked about the the, the company that I started out of college. Uh, I was a co-founder of that. I had ownership in that, and it was magical as like a early twenty something because like anyone would take a call with me because my signature in my email said co-founder of COO of and like we have this stupid invisible hierarchy around us all the time and people are constantly like putting you in a box. That's a very nice box to put yourself in. But when that goes away and it went away through like being acquired, it was a good outcome. But then I'm just back to like technically unemployed like (laughs) who's gonna take a who's gonna take a meeting unless I'm still saying like I was the co-founder of this and we sold it. Okay, cool, legitimate. I can like put you in a box again. But eventually you have to like do something else. And when you're associating yourself to your work, that becomes really psychologically challenging. And so I no longer identify directly with my work. like I identify as a creator, which is great because it's flexible. Like as long as I'm making stuff, then my identity is intact. I try more and more to identify as like a good partner and a good son and a good friend uh, because those things will be constant too. But um, having this identity of a creator is really nice and really flexible. And when I ended up taking a full-time job, uh, even though I was still running my business, I didn't have this like reckoning of like, who will I become? Because I'm still a creator, whether I'm employed full-time, whether my business is supporting me full-time, I'm a creator.
2: I love that. And what it makes me think of is on this journey of being a creator and even in building businesses, you've had to pick some marketing know-how up along the way and generating attention i think for a lot of people whether you're building a personal brand or a business becomes one of the challenges if you don't have any marketing background so i'm curious how you started to figure out you know a how do i create buzz or attention for my business and then how did you apply that to your content and then to yourself like how do you think about attention in general
0: i've been thinking about this a lot lately because i find myself in a privileged position now where I've built up enough of an audience that things are just a lot easier and I'm further away from that time of like constantly shouting into the void. So when I started writing every day, and that was like what I was really interested in. I still needed to make money and I was self-employed. So what do I do? I offered services. I basically was doing a facilitated mastermind service where I'd work with 15 to 20 people at a time. And I was doing some one-on-one coaching on top of that. That was great because my selling was incredibly hand-to-hand, one-to-one. Like, yes, I was doing content and I would talk about the opportunity to work with me in that content, but I couldn't count on that to convert for 15 to 20 people every 12 weeks. Like, My audience just wasn't that big. So in my day-to-day life, I was just meeting with people one-on-one constantly. And if they talked about something that made me think "Hmm, they might be a fit for that program at some point, I would take a note. And then when it came time for enrollment, which would only happen two, three times a year, I would reach out to them directly and say, hey, this is happening. Last time we talked, you talked about X. I think you'd be a great fit. I think you'd enjoy it. If you have any interest at all, like let's get on a call and talk about it. And so the win was the phone call. The win wasn't the sale. The win was the phone call. Because if I had the phone call and if it became obvious that it was a fit, I knew I could look them in the eyes and say, this will help you and you'll be glad you did it. And the sale would happen. So for a long time, like my actual business was Supported by just one to one outreach, and I was creating at the same time. And like over time, like time just does its work. Being consistent doesn't work, does its work. More people came in. Thankfully, the work was good enough that people liked it. They talked about it. They stayed subscribed. They started to like appreciate my viewpoint on things. More people came in, got a to sell that. This past year, I took a job because it was a good opportunity and I was excited about it. So I didn't have to sell it all for the last year in terms of services and i could focus my time, my creative time on just making really great things that i was proud of that like weren't high priced it wasn't like in the hundreds or thousands of dollars to engage with that so i built up even more goodwill with my audience because i wasn't constantly trying to ask them for hundreds or thousands of dollars and so like time compounds i do think there is an art to what i would call like ethical hype like in some ways Marketing is a momentum game. People want to join things that they think other people are joining, and people want to participate in things they think other people are participating in. And the inverse is also true. So, if you're a creator and you're making stuff and people aren't like engaging with it, I just had this discussion in one of my communities today. You're doing yourself a disservice by not being like pretty upfront and marketing your stuff strongly. Because if you have a workshop and three people purchase it, and you wanted to have twenty people purchase it. Not only is three people disappointing to you, but when I jump in as a workshop, and I look around. And there's only two other people here. I'm starting to ask, like, am I the idiot? Like, was this a bad decision on my part? Am I doing things other people aren't doing? So, like, there is just so much to be said about how people want to do things, like in groups, and they want to join a party that is in progress. They don't want to join a, a ship that is sinking. And you need to help get that flywheel going, which is like a function of being open to marketing your stuff, not constantly selling things, uh, making yourself a little vulnerable and uncomfortable, you know, figuring out how can I make this the success of this kind of public and visible. So I've been thinking about that a lot over the last year, because honestly, I've had a huge year in my business and it has been more so because of Twitter than my email list that I've been growing for four years. Like more results have come from Twitter this year than the the distribution engine that I've been building for years.
2: So I want to talk about that, but I want to put that a pin in that for one second because I like that spurs a lot of curiosity for me. But a lot of people want to start groups and either are afraid to or they don't know how. And I think, and they're not sure what to charge or if it should be free or how to get going.
0: How did you build yours, your first group? Well, pricing is really hard. And I didn't think about pricing in a very intelligent way when I got started. Basically, I just did some like, I did some, uh, copying and I did some math. The program that I worked through with my coach was 12 weeks. I thought that was cool. I'll assume I'm going to do a 12 week program. <laughs> and then I started thinking, Okay how many people should be in one of these groups? And I thought five, that was my initial thought. And that actually turned out to be like a really good number, really good number. So, okay, I've got five people, 12 weeks that gives each of those people a hot seat plus an intro uh, week and like a graduation week. This all works out. So let's assume, I think I can get 15 people to do this. If I want to get 15 people to do this, and this needs to pay my rent for three months, How much do I need to charge? And that was like the math. That's what I figured out. It's like on average, this needs to be about $400 at the time. And that like worked out. It was kind of challenging, but then also it was like no money. It was not long term sustainable because it was so much work to have conversations and to get people bought in and then to set things up and then to like deliver the actual experience. And it was for $400 a person. Mm, Doesn't quite work. So over time, I just raised the price and raised the price and raised the price. And now, I just think pricing is a complete, like pricing is marketing. Pricing is a story. Before you buy anything, you have a conversation in your head, consciously or subconsciously, that says, is this worth it? Why or why not? And our job as a marketer is to help people tell the story that will convince them that, like, yes, this is right. And, you know, as an ethical marketer, that the product is good enough to deliver on that. But, Price doesn't matter beyond what is a real like threshold of what is practical for your audience. Like I was selling to freelancers a lot of times. I couldn't really go above 800 or a thousand dollars for this 12 week experience because I didn't have that liquid available, like that liquid spending available. So there is a theoretical threshold as to like, you're not going to be able to sell for more than this, regardless of how well you can make someone tell the story. But Within that threshold, like pricing, is all about storytelling.
2: Yeah, I, I think a lot of people that have graduated and done multiple programs, and that programs can, you know has lasted, they look back and they say, "Well, if I was advising you, I would just tell you to charge right off the bat what you're worth and keep it going." But I personally believe that's like a false narrative because I think if anyone tries to start without having the confidence of having built that program first, that gave it away for free or for a price that was lower than what they were worth, they wouldn't have made it to level two, you know, they may not have had the confidence to sell more than one or two packages. So I'm always wondering, like, is it real to say, go back, charge the right thing to start with and whatever, like, or do you need that experience of actually taking people to a finish line after a 12 week
0: program? You know, that's just a debate I have in my head. It's a good question. My gut is you need experience somehow but like, you know, take like uh, Scott Galloway. He has a cohort-based course. He hadn't run a cohort-based course before, but like he doesn't need to come in and charge $300 and be super high touch. Like he's Scott Galloway. Not only does he have an audience, but he has a lot of experience. He has a lot of confidence as is. If you're coming into this and you don't have like any story to tell or any credibility to fall back on or any experience to make you confident, then yeah, like you probably do need to start with something that feels more aligned to the marketplace's perception of your value. Like what you're worth may be a different story in your head to the marketplace unless you can like change the marketplace's story. And you need to be realistic about that. Like sometimes I go back and forth. Sometimes when people have like ridiculous ideas of what they're gonna charge for something or like what type of salary they're going to command. And on one hand, I'm like, damn, good for sticking to your guns and saying I'm worth this. And on the other hand, I'm thinking, you're screwed. There's no way anyone's gonna pay that. Uh, and I don't know like which is true.
2: Yeah, no, I that, that makes sense. Okay. So I appreciate you going down the rabbit hole with me on that. I just <laughs> I wanted to kind of go back and forth and hear that perspective. You did get me my curiosity going about Twitter. It's not what I would have thought you would have started with and said, you know, this is what I'm excited about right now when there's so many other things going on. What's going on with Twitter? I know you're teaching some of this, uh, and we'll talk about that after I hear kind of what's been working for you and why are you excited about it?
0: I have been very strongly in the camp of build an owned audience for a long time. Like build a distribution system where you can reliably communicate with the people who want to hear from you without some third party blowing it up. So like email, obvious. Podcasting even, like pretty obvious. And that's where I've been spending a ton of time. It was always scary to think of, building on Instagram or Twitter or even YouTube because like I can't be confident that I'll be able to communicate with the people who have opted into communication with me on that platform or that I won't be required to pay for it. So I've just like kind of written them off and not tried that hard. But this year I've put more effort into Twitter and it's been a huge difference maker for me because it's just there's so much less friction to getting people to pay attention to you at first passively like clicking follow so low friction if i do see something in my feed that you wrote that i didn't like i can unfollow you it's very easy so people are more willing to like give you a shot and also as far as these third-party platforms go where discovery is easier where there's a lot of like organic virality on the platform a lot of that opportunity seems to be like closed right now without being pretty crazy or getting really lucky like to me there's still an opportunity on TikTok, but they just introduced like paid uh paid boosting there, so that's going to go away soon. Instagram, you have to be on Reels if you're trying to grow there quickly. Twitter though, Twitter seems to have a lot of organic reach and growth still possible, especially if you're doing threads. So I put more effort into that this year. I've grown a lot on that platform. And as I was talking about like hype and how people want to see things, I've just seen a lot of success on Twitter because of that. It's also been easier for me to get uh, connected to like pretty impressive, high profile, difficult to reach people because those people are so protective of their inbox. But like they'll give you a follow on Twitter if they like what you're doing or if they believe in you. So, you know, you put out a tweet that says you're doing a thing, it's pretty cool, it's pretty exciting, or even a thread that's pretty good. People with large audiences might retweet that and then like suddenly like your life has changed. (laughs) You know, I had this, um, you know, Previously, I was always selling courses that were like high production. I put a bunch of work into it. Uh, I charge like $200 a piece and it's kind of a high bar. Like, yeah, you put a lot of work into this. It's really good. But a $200 ask is a $200 ask. This year, I started doing these like one-off workshops and I sell them for 40 bucks. Uh, If you buy it, you buy it through ConvertKit. You get a link to the Zoom. You can come live, learn from me, ask me questions. And then afterwards, I take the recording and I sell the recording. And a $40 purchase is much lower stakes to the individual. It's a lot easier for me to deliver on a $40 promise. And people would be like, damn, that was good. So I built this workshop called uh, the Community Building Crash Course. And I talked about it on Twitter. And a bunch of people on Twitter are in the community space who follow me. So they said, this is awesome. And they shared it. And that workshop generated $8,000 in sales at $40 per workshop. And it just blew my mind. I was like, this is crazy. And it was like almost entirely Twitter. I did send it to my email list also, but maybe 20% of people from my email list, probably more like 10. So it's it's just super powerful.
2: No, that's amazing. So, And where can people find this if they want to learn more about
0: how to do that? About building like a workshop? Or- the Tweet 100. Yeah. So... Because I saw these results, I, th- I said to myself, I'm going to continue to invest more time into Twitter. And similar to what I did with my original, like, write for a year challenge on my email list, I tried to create a system that would ensure that I would actually put more time into Twitter. And to me, like, external account- accountability is a big way of doing that. So I created Tweet 100, where I said, over the next 100 days, I'm going to tweet at least once a day a good tweet that I'm proud of. I'm going to tag it with the hashtag Tweet 100. So that i can keep count of that and through some like lucky circumstances and good ideas i ended up building like a public leaderboard that anyone can participate in and you can join the tweet 100 challenge for free at tweet 100.com as long as you tag the tweet tweet 100 it counts it captures your progress it shows you how many followers you've started with how many you've gained your growth percentage. A lot of people are actually finishing their original Tweet 100 challenge this week, and I'm seeing growth numbers of like 1,500% all the way down to like 15%. My growth was 15%, but that was still almost 2,000 followers. Some people are literally growing 1,500%, which is crazy. And it's totally free. Just go to tweet100.com. It's been wild. Uh, and It's been really good for my audience also. Uh, it's been good for email subscribers. It's been good for podcast listeners because people who want to grow on Twitter, a lot of them are creators. And my stuff is for them anyway. So it's it's no problem to offer that for free.
2: Yeah. What I like is it's it kind of follows the pattern, right? You've committed to when you used to kind of do one channel at a time, you're committing to building something, you invest yourself in it, you find a path that's working, and then you're sharing it back with the rest of us, and you're not paying for followers and and all those, you know, all the the hacks to getting these things built. You're doing it organically, which I respect. Uh, And I like that you've seen some business success with it as well. So I appreciate you sharing that with us today. What I want to jump into is this idea of the community that's been kind of following you and growing along the way. Do you have plans or a perspective on the right way to bring a community along on your personal brand journey?
0: I think- anyone who's following your work is going to naturally be kind of invested in you and your journey anyway. So I do think there is like a level of you have to earn people's interest before you talk a lot about yourself. Like if you set up a blog and said, Hey, subscribe every week, I'm going to be telling you what I'm doing. It's going to be like, "Mm, I don't know. (laughs) But if every week you're telling them something that's useful and relevant to them. Awesome. And over time, after a period of weeks, months, years, they're going to be more interested in you because you've become a part of their life. So you'll naturally have built kind of a community following you along in that way anyway, but like you have to earn that with time. And even after you have earned it, like you need to still honor that relationship and not make everything about you. Like you really need to give first. And I still have to remind myself that all the time because there are these little traps where, like, I'll share something about what I'm working on or what's happening in my life, and I'll get a lot of like really positive feedback. And I'll think, man, I should just talk about that more. But there's like, it's like a bank. You need to make deposits before you can take some of those debits. Did I say that right? Deposits, debits, <laughs> checks. Yeah, and I credits. get it. I followed <laughs> credits and debits, crev- yeah. credits and debits. Uh, but yeah, you need to make deposits. And in the beginning, you need to make, need to make a lot more deposits than you can take withdrawals. On that goodwill. But yeah, definitely let people in along the journey. Being authentic does not mean that you are 100% transparent. You know, like you can be yourself, you can take them along the journey without showing them everything. You know, I had a conversation with some peers of mine recently and they were like, How do you guys in your businesses handle like your family? Like, how much do you talk about your spouse or your kids? How much is that a part of your brand? And people have like wildly different takes on this where everyone is pretty much aligned is like, ask those parties if they want to be involved, if they can't make like a consensual decision themselves, cause they're a child, like maybe don't, but otherwise some people are like, yeah, I, I bring, I, I have to talk about my wife because she's such a big part of what I do. And some people say, my wife really doesn't want to be a part of it at all. So I don't talk about her at all. And I think it's a, you know, a decision for you. Yeah.
2: Well, I appreciate you sharing that. And I think for a lot of us, yeah. It's a choice, right? What I've appreciated being a part of some of the communities that you're in or that you run is you take a very human approach to to talking to people. A lot of time it isn't like show up for coaching. Here's my advice go. It's kind of like, let's just facilitate conversation because we're all here for some common purpose, whatever that is for the group that you're in. Uh, and you do a pretty good job of pulling that out of people. Just be like, what are you up to? What are you struggling with? What's going on? Uh, it just seems to come natural to you. Is that something that's just been developed over time?
0: Yeah, I think so. I've done a fair amount of public speaking at this point and a fair amount of facilitation. And I've learned a lot about myself, frankly. There was a period of time when I was doing more coaching and I actually really struggle with coaching type relationships where I'm the coach because for someone to pay me to coach them, they are othering me in some way. They're saying like, you are something that I want to be, or you know, something that I want to know. And I have this inclination to like smash that gap and say like, no, 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 I'm not up here. Like I'm just beside you. Actually, we are the same person. Uh, we have the same abilities and skills. Like you just need to think about this different. But ironically, like if you remove that aspect of othering, your words carry less weight now. And so like to do them a service, you need to allow yourself to be put on the pedestal that they're putting you on. And it just became, it's just like uncomfortable for me to live there. And it's, so I just don't do it.
2: There's a responsibility there too of them. <laughs> yes. Like they then take responsibility themselves to say, like, I'll take in the perspective, but it's still on me to make this work, which I, yes. I could see why that's valuable.
0: That's also challenging because, like, ultimately, also in coaching, like, I can't do the work for you and like I can't convince you to care about something you don't care about. So when it comes to like dynamics of, talking with people and helping them out, like I just very aggressively step out of the coach seat and basically say like, okay, well, let me try to get like as much perspective as I can. I'll give you my thoughts, but I'm one data point and have my own biases and blind spots. And here's where this is coming from. And I think people appreciate that because, I don't know, the internet has evolved to a point where we recognize tactics, we recognize guruism, and we just don't want it. And I don't want to like participate in it really. And I think I stand out because of that. And that served me well too. So like, as I've seen results from like, okay, I approach things differently. People respond positively to it. I guess I'll keep doing that.
2: You know, and as we're coming to the kind of the end here, something I'm really curious about is how you think about like what's next. And I, you know, we have obviously your show is continuing to be a success and you've just redesigned your podcast cover, which I, I like, and just want to say congrats on that. Uh, you have this new tweet 100 program, but what is your plan? to grow your brand? Do you have a plan? Are you thinking about that actively?
0: I'm on the creative independent path, right? And to me, like the best way to be non-dependent on anything, including my business, is to like really diversify it. So I've actually really appreciated building out these different things as discrete projects with their own implications and their own ability to be ramped up or shut down without like shutting down a company and completely repositioning myself. So instead of having like a company that all these things live within and I have to like lead with, I'm the founder of this and we have a podcast, we have a blog and we have this product. I just contextually will use the brand of different products or like different projects that I have, like tweet 100, like freelancing school, like creative elements. And that diversification has been nice. It's been challenging to explain what I do at Thanksgiving, but it's been like, useful in terms of business results, I am kind of eyeing a new opportunity I'm excited about, which is like a more dedicated company-esque brand that is a content business that lives at the intersection of Web3 and uh, NFTs, creators, and community. And that will probably be like a bigger effort and a bigger brand that I might put more time and effort into. But like increasingly, You go to jklaus.com, it just shows you like the projects I'm working on. Like you can hear from me directly in my voice via email, or you can check out these projects. And I think that'll continue to be the case.
2: Yeah. Well, that next version, I try to explain that at Thanksgiving, the NFT 3.0. Like Like, I'm just, I'm an
0: author, Nana. That's, that's what it is. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a writer. Yeah. I'm a creator. Yeah.
2: Well, I appreciate your time today, Jay. Again, yeah, jayklaus.com. If you guys want to check out all the things that he's doing, also his new program, tweet100.com, check that out. And as always, if you can support another podcaster out there, quickly jump over to Creative Elements Podcast, hit that follow button, leave a rating review if you like what you're hearing. And thanks for being on the show today, Jay. Thanks, Brandon. Yeah. And for the rest of you, keep on tuning in each week and we will see you guys next time.
1: You've just taken your marketing knowledge to another level with this episode of Brands on Brands. But we have plenty more ways to help you build a brand that matters. Head over to BrandsOnBrands.com for resources, as well as access to our blogs, videos, and exclusive coaching sessions with your host. Be sure to visit BrandsOnBrands.com.